Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm here today with Courtney Ginder, who resides in Fishers, Indiana with her husband and daughter. She's a passionate maternal mental health advocate after surviving postpartum depression after the birth of her first daughter, Charlotte, during the COVID-19 pandemic. She blogs at beyondpostpartumdepression.com and can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond PPD. In addition to blogging, she is also the co-leader for the Hamilton County, Indiana Climb Out of the Darkness event, raising awareness and over $10,000 for families impacted by perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She is also the social media chair for the PSI Indiana Chapter Board of Directors. Hi, Courtney. Hi. Wow. Um, so I don't know, but I hope people caught that. I said your daughter was born during the COVID-19 pandemic, yes. which would have been February of 2020. Yes. She has just turned 21 months old. And all that you have accomplished for families since having your own experience is mm-hmm. absolutely remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that, that is really something. Um, I know that you believe deeply in the power of sharing stories to let others know that they're not alone. And yes, I stole that right directly from your bio (laughs) because I love it so much. Um, And I couldn't agree more. This is why I do the podcast. It's why I did the documentary film. I think sharing stories is really powerful. It can be healing. It can save lives, literally. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I always have my guests start out with, sharing their personal story, which for you is not really that far behind you. And so, um, so yeah, go ahead and share whatever you're comfortable sharing, start wherever you'd like to start. Yeah. So my daughter was born in February of 2020, um, right at the tail end of February. Um, I was actually induced because my blood pressure was starting to creep up. And so it was a running joke between my husband and I, because he thought it would be fun to have her born on leap day. I did not find that as funny or amusing as he did. (laughs) So I asked my OB, I was like, just not on February 29th, any day, but February 29th. So she was born on February 27th, um, fairly uncomplicated pregnancy. Um, I mean, as easy as growing a human can be. Um, I do have some risk factors for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Um, I've lived with anxiety pretty much my whole life. I, I don't remember a time I have not been worried about something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that is a risk factor for that. Um, but we had about three weeks of normal parenthood. Um, my parents were able to stay with us that first week because she is our first daughter. 
our first child. Um, so they were able to stay with us, um, help us get adjusted to parenthood. And we were able to have some friends over, some family members over to come and meet her. And then three weeks after she was born, we started hearing more about COVID-19. And actually the first case in Indiana was um, diagnosed at the hospital I delivered at. So a lot of people were texting me like, oh my gosh, are, are you okay? Did, you know, were they, were they there? And I'm like, well, for starters, we were discharged two days after she was born. So that was like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you know, the maternity ward is at a completely different side of the hospital than where they were at. You know, even if we had been there, you know, there was no way we were anywhere close to that. But so that was the first, I remember the first sign that things were a little weird. And I remember, um, I was pumping at one point and my dad was on his way over because my car needed some routine maintenance and I didn't want to take her into a dealership. She's, you know, brand spanking new. And so he's on his way over to pick my car up and the NCAA tournament got canceled. And I'm a big Purdue basketball fan. So I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what is going on? And, you know, the NBA shut down. And I was, that was our first indication. Like, this is, this is a big deal. And I remember my husband went back to work about a week after um, our daughter was born and he works in downtown Indianapolis. We're in a suburb of Indy. And I was absolutely terrified to be home alone with my daughter because I was like, how am I going to do everything I need to do to keep this tiny human alive and also like keep me alive? Like, <laughs> yeah. I was absolutely terrified. Um, my mom actually came over and stayed with me the first day he went back to work. And about a week and a half after he went back to work, he texted me and he's like, I'm packing up my office. We're working from home indefinitely. And I cried tears of relief <laughs> because I was like, I'm, I'm sure. not going to be home by myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was, I was terrified of being home by myself. And something I didn't realize until I had a baby was everyone talks about, oh, the newborn period is so snuggly and they're, you know, they just sleep and they're snuggly and they're cute. And they don't talk about how you're on like a very regimented clock. Every two hours, it's feed, change diaper, put them back to sleep. And the feeding start, the clock for the next feeding starts at the beginning <laughs> of the first, of the feed, not at the end. So like you get done feeding them and then you have like an hour-ish before you have to do it all over again. So I felt like I was barely treading water, like barely keeping my head above water. My husband would get home in the evenings and he would take over and hold her. And I would just go upstairs and take a shower and just cry in the shower because I was just exhausted and felt like I couldn't even keep my head above water because even now our daughter is very, she's very independent, but she's also very snuggly. She wants to be held. She has always wanted to be close to us. So I couldn't put her down ever. I would put, I would swaddle her up and I would put her in her pack and play and she'd immediately wake back up. Like her little eyes would just pop right back open. So I was, I was learning how to eat things one-handed Oh yes, <laughs> or, you know, grabbing a bunch of snacks and like surrounding myself with them on the couch so that I had like snacks within easy reach because I couldn't get up and fix a sandwich or anything. I couldn't, I couldn't fix any food because she didn't let me put her down. Um, and I remember the last thing my parents said before they went home when she was about two weeks old was she's actually a pretty easy baby. Famous last words. 
because shortly after that, as we're watching, you know, these press conferences and learning about flattening the curve and things are shutting down and you have to stay inside, she starts crying in the evenings, like clockwork, every night for about 5 to 9 p.m., inconsolably. And we're like, what is wrong? Like, what are we doing wrong? What is wrong with her? There's, this can't be right. So we took her, I remember at one of her well-newborn visits, we asked like, what is the level of fussiness is like normal in a baby? Like what is normal? And that's when we were introduced to witching hours, which is what she had. And just every evening, like clockwork, she would start crying around five o'clock, wouldn't stop until about nine, just inconsolable crying. And she also started, um, we formula fed. I tried breastfeeding for about three days. I did not find it comfortable. <laughs> I did not find it beautiful and natural. It really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like, I would see her start doing her hunger cues. She'd start, you know, chewing on her hands and that sort of thing. And I would dread feeding her because I was just like, this hurts. <laughs> yeah. And so we ended up switching to formula about three days in. Cause I was like, she cluster fed one night and I was like, nope, done. Screw this. <laughs> <laughs> And also I basically cried through an entire feeding. And that's when my husband was like, nah, this is not cool. We're not doing this. <laughs> so we switched to formula and she was starting to, even if she would drink her entire bottle, she would arch her back and cry in pain after her bottles, but she wasn't spitting up a whole lot. And that kind of culminated until one night she screamed, like absolutely screamed in pain for a couple of hours. And we're like texting my parents. My parents are pharmacists. We're like, what is going on? What can we give her? And they're like Tylenol. And my mental state was so bad at that point that I was afraid to give her Tylenol. So I was like, what if I give her too much and she overdoses and she dies? That's the, that's the mental state I was in at that point. And eventually we did give her some because I just, I, we couldn't take the crying anymore. And that did settle her down. And we went to the pediatrician the next morning and they confirmed she had silent reflux, which instead of, you know, exorcist style, forcefully ejecting their bottles, she would start to spit up and we could hear it gurgle in her throat and then she would swallow it. So she'd get the acid coming up and then going back down. So we got her on baby Pepsid and that helped, you know, that took away the pain and she could eat normally. We put her on um, the formula that's basically a step below like Alimentum and Nutrimogen. Um, so not the soy formulas, but the step below it. Um, and that took away the pain, but it didn't take away the colic. So we had progressed from witching hours every evening to if she's awake and she's not eating, she was crying. And sometimes, you know, bouncing on an exercise ball worked. Sometimes walking up and down the hall, bouncing her on my shoulder worked because for some reason, colic babies like motion. Um, sometimes we called it factory resetting the baby. We'd take her into her room and we'd turn off all the lights and we'd, we wouldn't have any sound and we'd just rock in a dark room together. And sometimes that worked, you know, she was overstimulated and sometimes none of it worked. And we just sat and we cried together and I begged and begged and begged her to stop crying. And so, you know, we're, we're also on top of this, we're also isolated. We can, we are not supposed to leave our home. We are not supposed to have anybody over. All of our family members 
were essential workers. My parents are pharmacists. At the time, my father-in-law was working at a grocery store as a store manager. My mother-in-law is um, HR for a, ma- for a manufacturing company. My sister is a vet tech. My sister-in-law is a pharmacy technician. Like these are all people that are working day in and day out with the public. So we're not allowed to have anybody over. And we don't know at that time what the level of risk was for a newborn, because this is still very, very early on in the pandemic. We know nothing about this disease. We know nothing about how it impacts infants. And I mean, I was still, my husband would go grocery shopping and I would make him go straight upstairs, change clothes, shower. I would wipe down all of our groceries with disinfectant wipes. I would wipe down all the doors and everything he touched because we didn't know what touch, you know, if there was touch transmission to it. So there's all that anxiety too, on top of this, of what if my baby gets this brand new disease that we know absolutely nothing about? What if she gets really, really sick? Because she has no immune system. What if she gets so sick, she has to be admitted to the NICU And what if I can't be there with her because they're not allowing visitors in, you know, so there's all that anxiety on top of it. And on top of that, I am feeling, I'm feeling numb. I'm feeling stretched thin. Um, My husband had, his department had never had a work from home policy before this. So they had, like, he had to keep track of his time and exactly what he was doing to prove that he can, you know, they can actually work from home because they've never done this before. So I had to pretend, even though he's upstairs in our loft and I'm downstairs with our baby, that he's not home and he's in downtown Indy. That's what I have to pretend. And so, and because she cries all the time, my brain is telling me, you know, you made a mistake. You're not cut out for this. You're a bad mom because you're clearly doing something wrong that you can't even console your own baby. And so I'm, I remember it got to a breaking point where I woke up before she did one morning and I was like, I'll do some laundry because when you have a baby with reflux, like everybody goes through multiple changes of clothes. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. someone is covered and spit up at some point in the day. It, you know, I frequently had it in my hair. It's real gross. (laughs) So I'm doing laundry and I hear her, our laundry room was upstairs And so I hear her, it's the laundry room, my husband's desk in the loft, and then our bedroom is just down the hall. So I'm in the laundry room, my husband's right next to me at his desk, and I hear her start crying in our bedroom in her bassinet. And I just leaned against the washer and started sobbing because I I couldn't do it anymore. I'm just like, I I have no breaks because she's, she's crying all the time. We can't call anybody over. Every Google frantic Googling that I'm doing about how do I fix colic? It all ends with call for help and need a break. And I start sobbing, reading it because I can't do that. I'm not allowed to have anybody over. I'm not allowed to leave my house. (laughs) And so I just, I couldn't do it. And that's what I told him. I was like, "I, I can't do this anymore. And he, thankfully he had, he gets four weeks of paid leave, which is incredible for, for dads. But he was able to say, hey, I'm going to take a new parent leave day. He got up and got her and told me, like, go lay down, turn the lights off, turn the white noise on, noise machine on so you can't hear her and just sleep. Like, I will take care of her, just sleep. And so I did. And after he was, after I woke up, he's like, will you please just call your OB? Will you call? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm only about a week away from my six-week appointment. I, I can make it until then. 
And shortly after that, I got a call from my OB's office and they said, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, my appointment's being changed to virtual. And at that moment, it felt like my one connection to the outside world that was about me and not about my baby, because we had, you know, we had, well, newborn visits at this point, but this one was just about me. That had, that one tether to the outside world had been cut. So I'm sitting on my couch, holding her on the phone with my OB's office, the receptionist, and just trying any excuse I can to convince them to let me come see them in person. I'm like, I have stitches. I had a second degree tear and an episiotomy. Like I have stitches, let me in. I'm like, no, you know, we don't, we're, you know, that's fairly typical. It wasn't a severe tear, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I, the birth control I want is the next one on implant in my arm. So I, I have to come in so you could put that in my arm. I'm like, no, that's considered an outpatient, you know, an outpatient elective procedure. And we're not doing those right now because of the health department says we're not. And I'm like, please let me just come see her in person, like, please. And there was, they just, I cried on the phone with this receptionist and she was just like, I'm so sorry, but there's nothing I can do. You're going to have to just do it over the phone. And so finally I got to that six week appointment and they asked, you know, how are you feeling mentally? And I just, I lost it (laughs) because I, like I said, I have a history of mental health complications. I have anxiety. I was already seeing a therapist because I also lived with PTSD for a long time um, from a sexual assault in high school. So I was, I am used to talking about my mental health and I was just like, something is wrong. I don't feel right. You know, I, I need help. Something is wrong. And they were able, this is the part of my story that I always say this. I felt lucky at this point. Because even though my appointment was over the phone, I was prepared to say something is not right. I know myself and I'm not feeling right. You know, if there are other moms out there who are not used to talking about their mental health, you know, how they could have faked that over the phone and pretended they were fine because you can fake it over the phone. They don't see your face because this was not a Zoom visit or anything like this was just on the phone. And, you know, my my OB and my primary care physician are in the same. They're actually in the same building. (laughs) So they were able to just, they're only a floor apart. So they were able to just call each other. My OB was able to say, hey, I think she has postpartum depression. My primary care physician called me. They, their office called me, got me set up with an appointment the next day so that I could, you know, they confirmed. They did more, a more in-depth version of the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale. Um, they were able to confirm, yeah, you have postpartum depression. And then you know, I was able to, I got an email shortly after that, that my therapist was moving to telehealth because of the pandemic. So I was able to, even though I was only, you know, six weeks postpartum and didn't really want to leave my house because <laughs> I still felt like I'd been hit by a train. Um, I was able to get back on her schedule as well. So even in a pandemic, I was able to still get the help I needed. I was able to get medication. I was able to get back on my therapist schedule and I was able to feel better. It took about two weeks, you know, for the, the antidepressant to reach therapeutic levels in my system. But I mean, it felt like a fog was just lifted and that dark cloud was gone. And I could actually, I mean, she was still crying a lot, but (laughs) at least I didn't feel like I was drowning, you know? And so that's, that's where I feel lucky was I was able to get help. I mean, how many moms out there don't have that and don't get that. And that's when um, 
her colleague Abe was it disappeared entirely around four and a half months. She she still has big feelings, which I have big feelings, so she gets that honestly. She still has big feelings, but she is she's independent. She's silly. She's insatiably curious. Way too smart for her own good. Um, but she's actually a fairly normal toddler, and I mean, I absolutely adore being her mom. And I found um, the climb out of the darkness on a Facebook post. I just happened to stumble stumble across it. And it's connected to Postpartum Support International. And I decided to set up a climb here in Hamilton County. And we I joined as a co-leader with the fundraising chair for the PSI Indiana Board of Directors. And we raised over $10,000 for Postpartum Support International Indiana. And that money will help award scholarships to providers right here in central Indiana to help women that, you know, they they don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. They don't have a therapist. They don't have a counselor. They don't, you know, they don't know about the support groups that are out there because I, I don't want other moms to feel as alone as I did, because not only was I isolated physically, I felt very isolated mentally as well. And the more I've started talking about this and being open about my journey, I've had other people say, yeah, I felt like that too, but I thought it was normal. And it's not normal and we shouldn't, we deserve so much better than to feel like crap. <laughs> right? Like we really do. And so that's, that's why I've, I'm so passionate about this was because, you know, we don't, we don't need to feel alone. We don't deserve to feel like that. We deserve so much better. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, you know, and bravo to your OB who, you know, over the phone, was able and you were able to voice, you know, Mm -hmm. what was going on and, and she was able to, or he, he or she was able to get you the resources then that you needed, um, for that quick healing. I mean, that's, I mean, you being able to, um, pay it forward so quickly has everything to do with the actions that your practitioners took with you, um, which is unbelievable. And I always, you know, unless you've, unless you've been through it, people really don't understand the magnitude, um, (laughs) that this has on somebody, Mm -hmm. um, which is why so many of us, you know, do pay it forward because it's such an impactful thing that happens in our life. I mean, it's a bookmark for me. I mean, I, when I look at pictures or whatever, and I say, Oh yeah, that's, you know, cause all my symptoms started in my third trimester. So when I look at pictures, I, I can say, yep, that was the weekend before I started having my intrusive thoughts. I know exactly mm-hmm. where I was. <laughs> like I remember like the last time I felt normal yes. and then it was after that, that nothing was normal. Um, but yeah, and speaking of normal, there's so many people that do say, oh yeah, you know, it's it's normal to have hormonal things and blah, blah, blah. And sure, our hormones do something. It's understandable. We just, you know, gave birth to a human and, you know, that's a really big deal. Um, but it's, it's the extent of it past two weeks is not normal, right? It's not normal. It's common, right? That's what we try to say. It's mm-hmm. like, it's common, but it's not normal. I mean, yes. we shouldn't be crying, you know, every single day and not feel like we can handle stuff. And you said it so beautifully, um, you know, after you got on the medication that, you know, you felt a lot, you felt a ton better that dark cloud was lifted. She didn't stop crying. 
It's just that right. we were able to process it yes. <laughs> better, right? And I think that's what people don't understand is that it's not, it's not always that. It's just that we, you know, when we're not eating right, we're not getting any sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's compounded with other risk factors, like already having anxiety and, and all those right. things. It's just, you can't, you just can't process what is happening. It's just, you crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. And that's what happened to you when you were in the laundry room, right? When yes. you were going, it's just, that was it. You're like, mm, nope. Yeah. And the, and thank God for your husband who was able yes. to. I mean, he knew something was wrong way yeah. before I did. Um, even way back in the beginning when I was feeling guilty about quitting breastfeeding, he's like, will you text your therapist? Like, will you do that? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm fine my, you know, we're still in that two week period. My hormones are crashing. Like, you know, because as soon as you give birth, your hormones start plummeting. I'm like, my hormones are crashing. That's why I'm emotional. I'll be fine. (laughs) But I mean, from the beginning, he was just like, something's not right. Will you text your therapist? Will you call your doctor? Like something's not right. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing how people around us can identify it like rather quickly, like just, know, and, and, you know, and that's us as, as women, moms, you know, they're like, nope, I'm okay. You know, like this, I know what it is. I don't need, you know, any additional help. Like I Mm -hmm. can do this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. My husband was the same way and picked up on, on stuff fairly early on. Um, yes. cause we just, you know, we, we change, you know, so quickly and it's just like, yeah, no, that's not right. And we, we blame it on the hormones. I mean, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what we do. It's just the easiest thing for us to do. Right. Um, yes. it's the most acceptable thing to say, um, because we feel like every woman just deals with it. And yes. You know. And I remember when I, I actually shared on Facebook, like a week after I was diagnosed that I had postpartum depression, And like I've said before, I'm used to talking about my mental health. I have been talking about my mental health for a very long time. And I have shared about how I've lived with anxiety. And I was afraid to share that I had postpartum depression. And if someone like me who talks about her mental health all the time, I was already a fairly open mental health advocate before this. If I'm afraid to talk about it, what about other people who aren't in that space and who don't, you know, who aren't used to talking about their mental health, if I'm scared to talk about it, what about those moms? Right. You know, that's the level of stigma there is with this. And that's what I was going to say, you know, the stigma attached to motherhood Mm -hmm. and feeling like this, right. Is different than you had mentioned that you had PTSD from a sexual assault, right. That connection makes sense, right. PTSD, I mean, that makes sense, but giving birth and becoming a mom, it's supposed to be beautiful and magical and the happiest exactly. time of your life. <laughs> and when it's not, you're like, Oh, I'm not telling anybody. Like, no. that's not, uh-uh. like I had, I actually had intrusive thoughts besides the, um, you know, you're a bad mom. You, you made a mistake. The house we were living in at the time had a very, very steep staircase. Mm. Like the steps were like very tall. And as I'm walking down the stairs one time, this thought popped in my head was you better not slip because you're going to fall and what happens to your baby. So I would, every time I went down those stairs, I'm gripping that staircase so tight and holding onto her so tight because there's this thought in my head of you're going to fall down the stairs and you're going to hurt your baby. And who admits that? Yeah. You know, who says I'm having thoughts that I might fall down the stairs and hurt my baby. Like Mm -hmm. no one wants to admit that because then they're going to take your baby away. Exactly. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, I always said, I was like, you know, intrusive thoughts suck so bad. Why can't we have intrusive thoughts about unicorns and rainbows and Candyland? You know, like why, (laughs) why is it such a dark, you know, and it's so interesting to me because there's so many, um, uh, there's intrusive thoughts are, are, are pretty, are not normal, but are very common. Yes. Um, and a lot of them are the same. Like I remember when I came out with my intrusive thoughts and I detailed it specifically, so many people were like, Oh my God, I had the same one. And I'm like, why mm-hmm. like, are you seriously the same one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, they're, they're all relative to like just a category of certain things. And I have to wonder like, what is going on in our brain that just, so the stairs one is super common. I've Very heard that common. one a lot. Yeah. Um, another one is that the baby stops breathing. Baby stops breathing. Like I actually joined, I had to leave a safe sleep group on Facebook because it was very informative when I was pregnant. But then after I gave birth and I'm having all these mental health issues, it became very traumatizing because some of those women are very, very adamant about safe sleep and they should be. But I got into my head that if my baby was not laying flat on her back, she was going to asphyxiate and die. And that's real bad when you have a baby who doesn't want you to put her down. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember our first, we went, we went on vacation with my family. Um, the summer of 2020, we rented a house down in Florida. So, you know, we were just by ourselves and basically did what we were doing already up here, like delivering takeout, that sort of thing, just in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole way down, she's about four months at this time. If she fell asleep in her car seat, I immediately stuck my hand over and wrapped my hand around her so I could feel her breathing in the car seat. So I was like, what if her chin tips down and she asphyxiates and I don't see it because I'm not paying attention. (laughs) And that's the, those are those intrusive thoughts that if something, if I'm not paying attention, oh my God, she's going to asphyxiate and die. Right. We become so, so laser focused, right. On every single detail and yes. become obsessive over it. Right. You know, and yes. thoughts typically happen because of some sort of OCD tendency and they just repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, and that's and- exhausting. I mean, nobody, I mean, it's one thing to be concerned. It's another to be obsessed. And when you're obsessed mm-hmm. and you're tired and I remember all those things just start compiling on top of each other. And it's just, you, you, you come to a breaking point. Most moms do, right. They come to yes. that breaking point where they're just like, you know, I can't, I can't handle it anymore. It's too much. Um, so I had mentioned in the, in the intro, just how quickly you got involved with helping other moms. And I just think that is just so amazing. I, um, I I love, I just love when moms get like that fire, just like, you know, like kind of like the mama bear, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. going to let any other mom (laughs) exactly what I went through. Exactly. Um, we just become so protective right away of of other moms. And at the same time, when I, like for the $10,000 that you raised in, in the ability to give practitioners the opportunity to learn about PMADS and how to, you know, really talk with moms and, um, you know, screen moms, refer moms, you know, so that mm-hmm. no one's falling through the cracks um, is super, super important. Um, let's talk a little bit about your blog. Yeah. Um, beyond I'm going to put links to everything in the notes of this podcast so people can check it out. Um, did you blog before? I did not. Um, I have always been a writer. I have always loved to write. I have always loved to journal. Um, I love 
notebooks and pens and stationery. Like I always have a notebook with me. I have favorite pens. Like <laughs> I, I actually went to school to study professional writing. Um, in the real world, I am a content manager, technical writer for a software company here in um, Westfield, Indiana. So I am, I am a writer. I always have been. And I, I kind of tossed around the idea of it. And then I found the climb and I was like, oh, that's, that's a good outlet. Um, I have always had a very kind of giving personality. I'm involved in a community service organization. Before I got involved with Postpartum Support International, I was very heavily involved with the Alzheimer's Association because I actually lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's disease. So I have, I have this kind of background of nonprofit and in my spare time, which is a little more limited now, but <laughs> I, I, I love to volunteer and I love to give back. And so I found the climb and I was like, oh, this will, this is, this is kind of like the call, this is answering that calling. And I found the climb. I got on board with um, Postpartum Support International Indiana and started leveraging social media. And I, I love creating, I'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I love creating social media graphics and posting things on social media. And I was doing a survivor panel with Postpartum Support International. And the other two survivors on the panel both had their own blogs and websites. And I was looking at them after the panel and I kind of just like, you know, why not me? And I was like, I, I, I'm at my core, I am a writer. I believe deeply in the power of sharing stories and making, letting people know they are not alone. And I was like, I can do that. I'm good at writing. I know websites. I know social media. I can do this. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going to write and I'm going to feel better. And it, it's very therapeutic. And I told my therapist about it. She's like, I love that idea. Like, that's probably super good for you because it, it gets those thoughts out of your head. They're not rattling around in my head anymore. They are out not really on paper because it's digital, but you know, the yeah. metaphor still stands. And it's been so, and I, I, I remember searching Instagram hashtags and Googling at nap time and searching through things on my phone after she fell asleep. And if I can be a resource for another mom who is nap trapped in her nursery room rocking chair, searching postpartum depression on Instagram, and she stumbles upon my account and sees my story and what I went through. And yeah, it was, it was awful and it really sucked. And, but to see that I got better and there is hope out there and you can feel better. And if even just one mom sees that, then that, that is worth it. Yeah. And the fact that you got better so quickly, um, there's so many stories that we hear and it, you know, and everyone's journey is so different, especially mm -hmm. with medication. It can be, it can be a lot. I mean, you would say, you know, it does take a little bit for those antidepressants to kick in and we have to be patient. And in the meantime, we have to find those support systems so that we can manage. Um, and then to put COVID on top of all of that, I mean, yes. it's a lot, but it is possible to get better. And the, and the sooner you, you know, personally can voice that to someone else, whether it be a partner or a friend or your practitioner or whoever it is, you know, the better, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, start that process of, um, healing and speaking of healing. Now I, I don't want to say it because this is your coin term <laughs> and it's so good, but how do you, how do you explain? What is the term that you use to explain how, how quickly um, you were able to pay it forward? 
I have been able to pay it forward by healing out loud. That is something that I have, I, I don't remember where I came up with it, but I was just like, I'm, I'm healing out loud. I am sharing my story. I am getting it out there. I am letting more parents know that, yeah, it is common to feel like this, but it is not normal. And something that I stress all the time um, on the social media posts that I do for PSI Indiana and my own posts for Beyond PPD, that PMADs are temporary and they're treatable. Like you do not have to feel like this all the time with, you know, for the vast majority of moms, I know there are some outliers, but for the vast majority of moms, medication and therapy helps and you will feel better. Yeah. Healing out loud. I mean, that is just, I'm telling you, that's going to be the title of your book. That's that's what's (laughs) going to happen. That book's going to come out. We're going to, you're going to come back on my podcast when we're however old and we're going to talk about your book. (laughs) I love it. Um, I don't know at the rate you're going, I mean, this could be like next year, I mean, I, I don't know, but I absolutely love it. And I adore you. And I know this is your first podcast. So I felt, feel completely honored, um, that you, um, told your story here first on my Yay! podcast. Yay. Um, I don't think this is going to be our last conversation. Um, I really, I'm excited to see how much more you're able to do um, right there in Hamilton County um, with the practitioners there and and raising funds with the climb. Um, It's awesome. So Courtney, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me.